Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of the PD Sports Podcast. I am Paul. We've got another massive episode in store for you guys today. Damo, how are you going? Not bad, not bad, not bad at all, Paul. It's going to be a massive episode today. A topic that I know you're passionate about, and if anyone that knows me, I've gone on our tangent rants on this topic, and I cannot wait to do it in a professional capacity in the pod. Yeah, we've been flirting with it for a while as well, haven't we? So I think it's sort of it's come up in discussion, sort of in random pods or when the Socceroos have been playing. But the main focus for today, guys, is going to be almost just critiquing and analysing like where where's Australia at currently, um, and and really the big question for me is what's gone wrong because we had such a period of not dominance but we had a, a golden generation come through and we were when we were kids didn't we Dane? oh yeah um, like that 2000 we really never kicked on no we never did that 2006 groups obviously that golden generation and just look at the players that were in and around it and even you look before 2006 look at the players that made up the soccer squad that you know didn't play in the 06 um you know in the 06 world, world cup. cup so uh look i've definitely feel like there's definitely been since you know after like oh wait onwards has been a massive decline and maybe the talent getting out but like this whole pod is going to be structured about what's wrong not just with Australian football for the Socceroos you know A-League how does that impact the Socceroos you know what are we doing about our youth development me and me and Paul both have coached at a youth level here in Australia um and you know what what we've seen as coaches what do we think can be done better um you know Paul's still actively coaching I am too um it's got to be a nice little different sort of intake into what you know people think about youth development as well. Um, and hopefully this pod just starts a bit of a debate in the Discord about maybe what you know some of the kids in our Discord think could they, that coaches could do better or you know and help progress them because we have a couple of kids in the Discord that are part of like representative sides. But we've also got some older, the older generation in our Discord too, that coaches as well. I know Vapi FM, who's newly joined, I think has done some coaching in the past. Um, yeah. And uh, look, I think this pod is just going to be based in just general around the whole of Australian football. And it's going to be a great topic to, you know, talk about as well because I feel like me and you Paul we flirted about this so much yeah it sort of came from during COVID um, Optus Sport did a, a really good piece with Aloisi uh, Vince Grella uh, and a couple other Schwartz I reckon was involved in that as well um, where they, they sort of broke it down they did I think two hour sort of episodes where it was more just off the cuff and they just sort of brought to the table what their thoughts around the situation in Australia was um, because they, they they were people that lived and breathed that generation that you know really excelled. For for us, I think the starting point needs to be the A League um, for today because that really is the the selling point for for football in Australia. That's what you know young kids really should be aspiring. I mean, obviously, I'd like them to aspire higher than the A League, but in order to get an opportunity at a professional level in this country, you need to be playing at the highest level and currently the A-League is our highest level and I've mentioned in the past I think there's heaps of things that we can speak about and you've got it here sort of as about 0.4 I think on the run sheet but we saw it last Thursday that we really struggled to score goals and I've mentioned it over the last few podcasts that because there's pressure for these clubs to win, they want to spend their marquee signings on their forwards, which means we haven't developed any in Australia. So, 100% agree. For me, 
I think that needs to be an area to address. I think we're really lacking in creative uh, players coming through the ranks because they don't get an opportunity. How, how do we go around that? Because obviously the clubs are, you know, they've got a right to want to be successful and they want to compete. And obviously winning, winning in Australia means representing Australia at, you know, the Asian Champions League. So there's that incentive. So that's why teams want the better players. But how do we do it in a way that promotes young Australians to get an opportunity to play in those forward areas? Uh, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one because how do you tell the clubs don't be competitive or don't strive to get the best players in, in a particular area? You know, would we have yeah. this problem if, like, in the Chinese Super League, they have a, a rule where they ha- Chinese clubs have to have ch- a Chinese goalkeeper to promote them getting a better Chinese international goalkeeper? I feel like that's kind of like really hard to put in in an Australian sense because we've always had people in every position come through, and then yeah, it's too late. And now. then now it's too late to like go. Oh, you need this rule where you can only have a certain nationality in a certain position. Where the Chinese Super League was smart, and I don't know if that rule's changed. I know that rule's think still there on Football Manager. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, that because they never really had a good national side, right? And that's no disrespect to China. And they want to become good better. Developing. And they want to develop. And it's a smart thing. They they know they struggle goalkeeper-wise because just, you know, just how the makeup of, you know, the Chinese nation, nation, nation is that keepers are generally going to be a lot shorter. And so a lot of those Chinese big clubs would go and just sign a keeper, right? That of height and of yeah. quality. But instead, they're like, no, you need to develop your own Chinese homegrown goalkeeper and I think that's a great incentive but how do we put that into us and I feel like the rule shouldn't be you have to be limited to buy a certain nationality but maybe we should have rules about you have to have a certain amount of you know youngsters on the bench or you know a certain amount of Australians in starting 11 or you know yeah. and like that could be the way that it could be I set agree. out um, I feel like doing nothing about it, which we currently are, will be a detriment to us. And you can see it. Like, look at look at what happened last week. When you were new against, um, oh, what, the Saudis, wasn't it? Saudi Arabia, yeah. yeah. Like, and you're telling me that there is not an ounce of quality in Australia that is able to put a chance away to break them down. And I just feel like that's the product of the A-League not producing a player that is of that level. Um and then you've always got to liken it back to the golden generation. And I look back at like people like Kiel and Viduka. They didn't come through the A-League because they were part of the NSL days. But what they did is they broke into the NSL at a really young age. And straight yeah. off the bat went like from their their clubs that, that moves had... away. Yeah, because their clubs had an ethnic background, had moves away to... I think Viduka went to Croatia, did he not, to start? Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty so. sure. But the key was that they got an opportunity Straight at a the young bat, age. Yeah, and they were playing. And that's what we're not seeing. No, because clubs can go like Perth Glory, and don't get me wrong, I love they signed Daniel Sturridge, but Perth Glory back in the NSL day would have picked, you know, uh, a, a striker that was in their youth rank scoring a lot of goals at 16, 17 to go lead or the line. Or playing in the MPL. Yeah, well, I'm going to liken it back to a good friend of mine, and I hope he doesn't mind me name dropping him, but um, we're good friends, and I doubt he listens to the bod. But um, Jim, Jim Tuskinas is someone I play cricket with and someone I've coached under and is an amazing coach. And he was at West Adelaide as a junior and at 16 years of age played NSL at 16 years of age. And his first 11 games didn't score a goal, right? And a lot of people said this guy hasn't got it. By the age of 18, this guy had a golden boot under his, I'm pretty sure a golden boot in the NSL. 
under his yeah, boot. Geez. He played under twenties for Australia and nearly got a contract with Manchester City. There's a couple of reasons why that won't happen. I'm not going to go into that, but that's the difference. This is a kid that got a goal at 16 years of age against an Adelaide City side that had um, all the old uh, Australian back four. You know, yeah. like this is this is a this is a kid that where better place to learn than in your national league, right? And then he ended up going to play for a couple of the clubs in Melbourne um, as well, um, and. A guy that had a pretty very good career. Now, if, in an A League sense, if that was related to A League, this is a guy that would have made like Matt Simmons sort of a po- sort of uh, levels of appearances in the A League, right? But back in the NSL days, now that was all because he got that chance at a younger age to be developed at sixteen years of age playing in the NSL. Now, is that the A League's fault that they changed from the NSL to A League? No. Is that the A League's fault that now the clubs are in a bit more financial position? They can offer bigger contracts to marquee players? No. But what it does mean is they need to be proactive to bring in rules so there's still a development phase for our younger players to get in at a younger age. And maybe the rule has to be you have to have three guys under the age of 18 in your squad. Yeah, in the matchday squad. In the matchday squad. Instead of it being 21, 22, these guys are probably too old to probably break into Europe. Make it 18. So you get a 16-year-old Viduka, a 16-year-old Kill off the bench, um, playing the A-League, all of a sudden start playing well, get some form, get used to the level of, you know, a proper professional league at a very young age. And guess what? If they start performing well, I'm sure that a European club will come and look at them and go, you know what? We'll take you across 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 the channel. Over in Europe and yeah. give you a go. So in theory, in theory, that sound that that's the end goal for me. Um, I think where the breakdown is is the gap between sort of that under 18s level and then you know A League level because not every kid is ready, and I don't think the actual like development underneath the A League's ready, and I think we missed like our generation. So the people now that are 25, 26, 27, we're the ones that were mismanaged. Not we were mismanaged, but the whole nation was mismanaged in our era of, you know, from 2006 to 2012, you know, that six-year period. That's where it got mismanaged because we couldn't make the jump. That's when the A-League began. The focus then shifted away from the National Leagues and went straight into the A-League. And when you start only thinking about the top, who gets left behind? Yeah. And it's the community clubs. So for me, that that's a big contributing factor is that we don't... So this is the thing. We can blame the A-League for not playing young Australian strikers, for example. But if we're not producing good enough young Australian strikers, then we're going to be in the same merry-go-round issue that we're in now. Because if we can't make the talent, if we can't nurture the talent, then they're never going to play because they're not going to make it at that level. Yeah. So that's a huge consideration. That, that's what I've seen um, more so in the last few years is that I actually don't think we're do- – like in Adelaide, I think we're a bit of an anomaly because I feel like every year we do have the odd one or two kids break through and the odd one or two then get a move that's away from United. That's because the club's so, make-up here, though, Adelaide United. We're a bit different than everyone else because we don't have the money. There's a few things. We don't have Yeah, we money. haven't got the money. We haven't got the finances. We haven't got the attraction to get a big, big-name superstar – Ex Premier League unless uh, unless they want to come live in the Barossa and drink wine every second day, no, they don't. Well, yeah, exactly, and then that's the issue. So, well, not an issue. Maybe it's a good thing for Adelaide. It means that it's rare for us to be competitive. So, in all our years of existence, we're a foundation club. We've been in three grand finals. We haven't 
really competed. We've won a few cups more recently. I think we've won. Th- yeah, we two we haven't lost an F- three in a row. We haven't lost an FFA Cup game since the introduction of the FFA Cup. Oh, t- no, 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 we have because we haven't won every single FFA Cup, but we've won the last three. two or three in a row. Yeah. Um, so for, for us, yeah. we are developing talent, but again, we're, we're talking about talent that's then capable of kicking on to play for the Socceroos. And for all the, the players that have come from Adelaide, we're talking, you know, on Thursday night, we've had Leckie come through our system. We had Mabil come through our system. We had Riley McGree come through our system. Yep. Trying to think. I, I can't remember who all the guys on the bench were, but... I reckon, you know, we've had three. For such a small club that's got no money, to have three guys that are playing at the Socceroos level shows that, and two of them were in the attacking areas. So we've produced really, the two starters, a starting striker and a starting left wing, have come through our system. So maybe it's the it's the option there for us to, you know, adopt that mindset as a nation. You know, we've taken George Blackwood now, give or take whether you think he's good enough from Sydney and he was again was never going to get an opportunity at Sydney maybe he develops into a better player if he's able to stay at Sydney because he can play with better players but they bring in Ninkovic they bring in Bobo they've got Alex Brosk who to be fair was a really good player he was never getting an opportunity there so he did come to Adelaide for a chance so that's where I don't mind the A-League setup because it does give people flexibility to move but then you counteract that with if you can move around, then you're constantly taking spots from someone that's in the NPL there. So there's a real fine line for me, which I think if we can get the junior development to a point where we're making or we're producing talent that's pushing senior players, then that's only going to better Gotta. the situation for the, for the country yeah, because we need to be get we need to be producing talent that's going to be pushing. Because we're not at the moment, oh, no, really. That's why the Socceroos team's so settled. I've got an idea then for a rule that we could introduce to the A-League. And maybe it's worth jotting down these rules that we could change. Is that instead of making just an under-18 Australian player in your match day squad or two of them or three of them, whatever the number is, Paul, is that maybe they have to be under-18 but come through your own youth system. So that means that your youth system here for Adelaide United, for instance, doesn't mean just Adelaide United youth, you know. What about, you know, Adelaide City, Campbelltown, you know, these are guys that maybe have been playing MPL or, you know, at a young age and then Adelaide's gone, well, yeah, I straight away, bang, and, you know, you grab them straight in. doesn't mean they have to pull them into the youth team for them, them to be eligible, but they could surely, yeah. surely be able to register and call them and go, okay, not a problem, you've got to be with the senior squad, and then off you go. Yeah. And it allows those kids that, instead of them playing just youth football, to still probably play MPL, which is probably better than playing youth football because you're playing against, you know, guys that have had 300, 400 appearances playing MPL that are very experienced. Um, and it gives yeah. these young kids to play. So maybe the rule should be not just eighteen under 18s or 18-year-old or you know 19-year-olds that are just Australian, just have come through your own youth. And that might encourage kids to maybe stay at their clubs a bit longer, which could obviously aid the development. And then obviously when they get to 19, 20, start giving them the opportunity to then, okay, move around in the A-League, go try and make a name for yourself. If you probably haven't broken into Europe by that age, you're probably only going to play at an A-League standard anyway. So then you could probably yeah. say to them, look, go go find your club, move around. I'm, I'm not all, not totally on board with how the A-League transfers work, but, um, you know, go move on your freeze, leave your contracts, et cetera, and move around. But um, hopefully that will hopefully aid like the kids that are 18 and younger with a really good ceiling to stay at their clubs, really be developed, play senior football, um, even if it's off the bench in the A-League, but still play senior football at their NPL clubs. And hopefully that's yeah. a platform for them to 
because the end goal should be to springboard into Europe, and hopefully that's the platform to springboard them into Europe. Um, and what it does, it gives you that little bit of that NSL feel because they're still attached to their to their club. You know, they're like I, I mentioned West Adelaide, Adelaide City's produced players. You obviously go to like Heidelberg and all that as well um, from back in the day, <laughs> the NSL days, and yeah, you know, it gives them that attachment still to their club. And it still gives the A-League club, though, to go to those clubs and go, well, that's your best young kid playing NPL. Right, we'll use him. And that's the best way, I think, to aid it than them just taking them all on board in their youth team. They sit in the youth team and then nothing really happens. They don't get a go because you're signing marquee signings. You're signing other you know, 22-year-olds on freeze from other A-League clubs to then fill your spots. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, just just anything that aids you a bit of someone youth. like a... Someone like a Scott Jamison, for me, is like the perfect example of what the A-League is. He's played for practically half the half the country, you know what I mean? And he's just, like, he's a good player and he's shown that he's a good player. But the fact that he's bounced around between Melbourne clubs, Sydney clubs, Adelaide. Western Sydney, Adelaide United, like, he has literally gone around and round in circles. And how many opportunities has that stunted, you know, in the process? That's where my mind always goes Same to what here. the A-League does. I mean, this is the time before the A-League, you know, hopefully moves into a direction of promotion relegation. But there's been no excuse to not play the kids, in my opinion, because they haven't... If you're in a position like Adelaide United are this year, there's no reason why they shouldn't be playing kids because we haven't got the players, we haven't got the money, COVID's impacted the club, there are kids there, give them a go. We're not expecting to do much. Carl Vietz's job's pretty safe. This is a year. This should be a development year for Adelaide United, exactly. realistically. And then if we're competitive next year, two years down the track after finishing bottom for two years, there's no implication for us, A. And to be quite fair, the Adelaide, in terms of relating it back to us, the Adelaide fan base is quite content with that, I feel, as a whole, knowing that that's the project where the rest of the country are just trying to buy and sign marquee signings and other, like, ex-A-League players from other clubs, you know, 24-year-olds, 26-year-olds, like Danny De Silva and people like that, right? Um, coming in and like probably limiting a youngster's opportunity to get game time while you know other clubs are trying to be you know more successful and that's probably why Sydney's dominated a lot because they can attract the most and why Melbourne well they haven't been they great can also spend being, more too because yeah. the way that the the way the stupid system works yeah. is that because the um what's it called Salary the club. marquee signings yeah. don't come out of your no. main because they don't come out of your main budget they've got more money to spend on that marquee signing yeah. so. That's why Sydney FC every single season are going to dominate because they find loopholes in the system that they can exploit and look good on them. If they're, they've got the finances to do it, good on them. And they're just going to, the way that the system is, they're just going to dominate. So I think bringing in some of the, not restrictions, but some guidelines around trying to promote youth prospects, that's going to sort of nullify just being able to go out of your budget and out of your salary cap to bring in you know, higher quality players where you just dominate the league for 10 years. Yeah, I agree. And uh, until promotion relegation happens, which will be a point we'll touch on in a second, I, I really think the whole emphasis of the A-League should be to be promoting the youth. I'm not saying... These be of, development leagues. Yeah, I'm not saying get rid of your marquee signs because I think they're important in mentoring these younger kids and I think it's important to grow the league to have these sort of players come in. But I really do think that the A-League has an opportunity before it happens to change some rules, put some rules in place, and even make it that, you know, if they go to promotion relegation... So the culture relegation, changes yeah, first. And, like, and then when it goes to promotion relegation, those rules can stay, right? And it just gives a larger base of probably youngsters to play at a, that elite level. Really, the A-League should be a glorified youth league for Australia, for Australian football. 
And yeah. that is what we should be paying for as fans to see the best young products playing the sprinkled of experienced players that they the clubs pick up, but it should only be a sprinkle, right? And battling it out. And that's how it should be. But it's not, it's, it's, you know what it is? It's the A-League trying to think that they're the Premier League, but they're nowhere close. And they're, they're trying to model it in a way that they're like, oh, we want, we like a little bit of what the MLS is like, and we like a little bit of what the EPL is like, and Australian football's in a great spot, so let's just let this league run. It's not how it works. Yeah. It's not what where, where we are. What's wrong about Australian football is that we're not as good as we should be. So why not well, change something was, to change it? The issue was that's how they established the league. They established it on a model similar to what you just explained, and they forgot about the next 10 years, and then we've, we've paid for it. We've gone to a World Cup where we didn't score a goal from open play. All our goals came from Yednak penalties. Yep. We've limped our way through qualifications. We didn't do well in the Asian Cup. Like, we're just not... We're not in a place where we're playing good football either. It's not... I don't enjoy watching the Socceroos anymore. It, it hurts my head watching the same the players every I, single game. Yeah, that's the whole reason I enjoy Was watching it? the Socceroos is because it's going to hurt my head to watch how oh, bad they are. I and mean, what would we do different as, you know, younger coaches going, well, oh... You know? Yeah, well, I don't. I don't mean like I don't mean I, I hate watching them. Yeah, but it's just mean. it's not the same. I don't get the same feeling I did when I was ten. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it hurts a little bit because realistically, we're in a in a country where it's the sport that's played the most. Another factor that I don't know. I don't think I don't know if you've got this down here. I'm just quickly going through. I don't think you do. The another the major major problem is the finances in this country need to be completely abolished. Like the amount of money that clubs charge for fees oh, is silly. pricing kids out. It's so silly. And it's pricing out some of our best new arrival families that can't afford to play because they get offered a scholarship to a Adelaide City or to a Campbelltown or a Blue Eagles or a Metro and they can't afford the registration fees and it's a well Sorry, but, you know, we need this money for X, Y, and Z reason. Well, no. All through Europe, kids play for free. It's an expectation that they play practically. And they're given that opportunity to play at the highest level. So Yeah, it's wrong and it's a bit of a money grab, I feel. And there's a few other things that I feel are money grabs that happen at, like, the youth development level. But maybe we should talk about that a little later in terms of, like, what I think are, like, the stick programs and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, and yeah. I think that all ties into the fact that I just think the Football Federation of Australia sometimes can be a little bit money hungry. And I just feel like that's, you know, the arms of the Football Federation. So Football Federation of South Australia, you know, that NSW Federation, the uh, obviously the Victorian Football Federation. That's I feel like that's those federations feeling like they can stretch their arm out into the clubs and take a bit more money than what's needed to. Because um, yeah. I expect some sort of money to be paid for registration. Don't get me wrong. I don't live in this world oh, 100%, where. 100%, but when you're talking a thousand dollars. Yeah, bucks I don't get that. Because year, what are they using the thousand dollars on? The money that should be going into the club should be from all the grants and all well, whoever's doing the sport and rec management of, the, of that football club to go get your grants from the government and that to improve your facilities and everything. And the, you're telling me that the club is being run on the fact that. A kid's paying a thousand dollars a week to go pay for your, you know, your artificial pitch and everything. No, it's the government paying for that. No, you, you know to, where that. You exactly. Oh yeah, that, those big clubs. You know exactly. The money's, where that money's going, going straight and I, and to the I first team players that they can there get their hands on, right? There you go. And the kids shouldn't be the one paying for that. The people that should be paying for that is the supporters they get through the through the doors and the sponsors. The sponsors they can get on board. And trust me, there's a lot of clubs with big sponsors out there that don't need to be paying kids a thousand dollars. I'm going to name them, right? Because 
you know, there's got to be someone listening out there to this pod going, I know who you are and I know where you've worked at. So I'm not going to go put names out there, right? But um, there is clubs that shouldn't be charging anywhere near what they should be for kids because they've got all the sponsorship, they've got all the grants, they've got their facilities in place. But really all they want to do yeah. is get as much money through the doors so they can either A, offer the great. players what they want or B, pocket it for the club for the future, which is going to be put back into the players anyway because a lot of clubs are now just solely focused on what happens first-team football was, And I get that because that's yeah. where your club is always going to be viewed is where's your first team at. I get that. And that's your end goal. But the club should look at that in the way of going, well, if we can get the best out of our youth, we're going to have the best young team in the NPL, for instance. That's going to be sustainable longer term. All the best youths then want to come to us and we're just going to keep snowballing along. Clubs don't think like that anymore. Clubs just think about end product, end goal, that's it. Well, it's because, again, these clubs want to be, you know, fighting for FFA Cup spots because then what does that bring you? What does an FFA Cup spot bring you? <laughs> oh. brings you TV money. Yeah. It brings you extra ticket money. It brings you more attention and more exposure. And that's, you know, again, we're talking about how money's running football. It, it just shows. So it costs an arm and a leg to play at these clubs. And the kids, at the, then oh, this is such a systemic problem. The kids at the big clubs then don't get an opportunity to, well, not at the big clubs, kids at NPL clubs don't get an opportunity to play first team. They fall through the cracks, they play 18s, they maybe play reserves, they get shunned out, they then have to go down to State League 1, State League 2. Maybe that's how it should be, but they should still at least get an opportunity. Whether they're good enough or not is two different stories, but I know so many people that were at massive clubs that don't get a chance at all because they, they don't have a name or they haven't, scored 45 goals playing under 15. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, they, they haven't just been like they're going to go on the A-League path and these big clubs just don't look at them or they might just see them in training and they go, nah, not for me. So, there's a huge issue starting from the top but it also goes all the way and to the bottom the in my opinion. Effect. It snowballs the whole way down the pyramid of Australian football. If you don't get it right at the top, the bottom's going to suffer. And at the same stage, if you don't get it at the the fundamental basis at the bottom right, which is the youth development, at, you know, a young age to get these kids ready for, you know, senior football. And that's the bottom base level. It then snowballs back up, up to the top again. And it just keeps going like a yo-yo, up and down. The A-League's not sorted. That makes the MPL not sorted. That doesn't make, you know, all your state leagues sorted, you know, following the same sort of pathway or, you know, not getting, you know, the best out of what it could be, right? But then at the same stage, if we're not getting enough youth development at the bottom level to filter into those... It's just it's just detrimental, and I just feel like the way Australian football structured in terms of the A League, youth development, you know, it all snowballs and all is a bit air, right? And it's not the best that it could be, and that's filtering straight into the Socceroos, and it's all tied together. Um, and oh, look, there's a lot we would change, obviously, and I think change is needed. It's just a matter of would are is the Football Federation of Australia bothered about change at the minute? I don't know. I don't think well, so. Well, they've got a product that's making them money. That's yeah. the thing. So that, that at the end of the day, that, if there's no need for them to make a change, then they won't. But I think the change that we've spoken about enough is uh, the promotion relegation system. Yeah. So for me, I think it's a good thing for football in meaning that the, the competitiveness of the A-League will then go up. Uh, that's the For me, that's a key. Um but the other issue of that is then teams are going to be so desperate to not get relegated that they're not going to give people an opportunity to play. And that's where I'm sort of caught in the middle. For youth development, 
the promotion relegation is almost going to mean unless you are kicking doors down, dominating at an NPL level, you are never going to get an opportunity at the A-League because the risk is too high for these clubs to back the kids in. Otherwise, they're getting relegated and then they're losing money and then people are losing jobs. Yeah, and I hear that. I totally get that as well. I just... It's a double-edged sword, though, because if we had a bigger league, right, and if we had relegation and promotion, what could happen... means more people playing at a better level. Yeah, exactly. More people playing at an open level, more people even playing in the second division, like A-League 2, right? But that's going to be a makeup of more kids than not. There's going to be more kids that's going to be given that opportunity at that elite level, and that should aid development. I understand that, especially clubs that maybe like Adelaide United would turn into a club that goes... established clubs. Yeah, maybe turn into going, well, I don't want to go down now. Right, we can't play the kids yeah. like we've been doing for years on end. Uh, we might have to go and maybe pinch, you know, the older MPL experienced player, the the old Adelaide United guys that used Recycled. to play, yeah, that you know, just to get some experience and just get them, you know, doing what needs to be done. Right, I, yeah, I I, I see where your point is, and I get it, and I, that's what scares me with, with the promotion relegation. I just feel like the benefits of it is it will make our league better. It'll make it more if we can look at it in a five-year, yeah, exactly, yeah, five-year plan yeah. where your Wellingtons and your, I won't say Mariners, traditionally your Mariners because yeah. they've always been down there, but your Newcastles, they might go down early, then kids may get exposed from your South Melbourne or a Heidelberg or a Sydney Olympic yeah. because they're the ones that are probably the strongest of the MPL yeah. sides. Then they get an opportunity at the national stage for a season, and whether they go down or not. You know, you look at the Premier League where how many times the promoted teams come up and the and the stars of those promoted teams get that move on if the team gets relegated. How does like you know, you look at Buendia or Yeah, hundred percent. Who there's you know, Jack Grealish, you know, went up with Villa, went down and then's come back up with them and then got his move to Man City. So there's opportunities there for guys that do come up to shine and then regardless move into other clubs. And I think that's where I want to touch on to another point that you've got here on the run sheet is we need to start having transfer fees 100%, in the A-League. 100%. Teams need to be able to get compensation for their assets in order to then reinvest it. Yeah. So, so for people not listening uh, that aren't from Australia, so for people listening that aren't from Australia, the A-League rule is really weird. You cannot sign another player from the A-League for any monetary value. It has to be on a pre-contract or there's an agreement that they're going to be released, that he's going to be released at the end of the year and can open talks with another club to then sign. So I can't go, for instance, Paul plays for Melbourne and I'm the Adelaide United head, head coach. I want Paul for a 200k because I think that's what he's worth. Not allowed. Uh, I can only offer him a zero, I can only offer a transit fee of zero dollars or wait for his contract to be expired. And that's that's a weird, weird, weird way to go. And it's all because of salary cap and this, that, whatever. For me, if we were at promotion relegation, get rid of the salary cap. Yeah, that probably means that the Sydneys and the Melbournes can probably spend astronomical They're already number. dominating anyway. They're, they're already doing it. So if they want to go down the route, that they want to bring in, you know, 10 guys that have played MLS, you know, Serie A, 38 years old, by all means, do it, right? Because that's not going to be sustainable for long. Yeah, they might get two, three good years at the top, but what happens when the the money you know does eventually run out in the cycle of being able to attract those players runs, and then all of a sudden, well, where's the kids you develop? Or you get a few, you get a few of those signings wrong, and someone gets injured, yeah. and one gets suspended, and then one gets sent home because of COVID. Yeah, you know, and 
your team falls apart that way too. Yeah. So. so I reckon just get rid of the salary cap, get rid of the um, the not being able to offer transfer fees. The fact that like Bernardo is just signed for Adelaide had to be, wait for his contract to be done with Sydney before he could move back home was silly, right? If yeah. Adelaide really wanted him, Sydney should have been able to say, "This is the fee, off you go," right? Um, Sydney or City? No, City. no, sorry, City. Um, not Sydney. Um, yeah. uh, what do you call Melbourne it? City. Yeah, that's the one. Apologies. Um, Melbourne, Melbourne City should have been able to get compensation for that, right? Am I not wrong? Yeah, a young know? promising kid that wants to go home yeah. and, they, and they get nothing for him. Yeah, and, and that goes the same way for us like with Bruce Kamau, oh, you know, yeah. someone that was part of a grand final team. Or another one, um, McGowan. You know, we had Dylan McGowan, yep. starting centre back in our grand final team. Went to Western Sydney for nothing yeah. because we couldn't we couldn't ask for anything. We've only ever sold one player for money, and it was Ryan McGree. Yeah, and like for me, it's like look at Burrard Barisha. You're telling me that Brisbane Raw weren't able to get anything for him because he wanted yeah. to leave, and Melbourne just waited. Or victory, for his, yeah, or, or victory because they just he waited his contract down because they couldn't be sold. And that's the other issue is that if these players want to leave, great. But for the A League club to then watch them just run their contract down and then go to another A League club is. Silly, if the player makes it known a year before, they can go out and shop, oh, 100K? What are you taking for 100K? Or whatever they can get. Yeah. At least they can reinvest it into coaching or into youth development yeah, or, or go into and an, try or, and or buy player. two or three guys exactly. or try and get two or three guys. And I think there needs to be money exchanged between A-League and NPL clubs as well. I think it should be a connection I think it should be like an affiliate sort of way that every A-League club should take a few of those NPL clubs like as feeder clubs on board. Should be a payment to those clubs and there should be a way where those coaches and those players, like I mentioned, should be, you know, if they're performing at an NPL level that are like under the age of 18 and performing really well playing first team, those A-League clubs should just be able to have in that affiliation the right way to go, yep, picking you next week, thank you, right? But that's the yeah, exposure then, that it needs and like that's how... It is, yeah. but that's how the clubs then miss out then because then the NPL club loses their star player. Yeah. Which is why they're trying. That's why they can't. You like that's why. So they, if they get compensated financially, regardless of how, if it's a, a season on season fee yeah. or it's a, well, I think whenever it we be, want to sign one of your players, I think it should be a season. There needs on, to be some monetary. Yeah, it should it be, could a be season, season on season. season. Should be a season on season fee where the clubs will handpick maybe three or four NPL clubs that those are the clubs are going to target. And so, like in Sydney, for instance, it'd probably be Sydney United and um, a couple of the other clubs around Sydney United as well. And like Melbourne, be like Melbourne Knights, etc. Here in Adelaide, they'll probably choose Adelaide City. Campbelltown Metro, um, you choose those sort of clubs, right? And th- that should be a fee, and the players that is available to Adelaide United go well under eighteen. Crota, those are the guys we look at. They get to play first team football, but the fee should be paid at the, at the start of the year, end of the year, whatever it is, right? For the season to be affiliated, and then there should be a compensation fee. Well, we're actually going to take him next week, so we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. It doesn't have to be you know crazy amounts, but imagine if it's. Imagine for a week to use a kid, it's 500 bucks, 300 bucks. Like, that's big to yeah. a, a, another club. Like, that's big to one of these other clubs. Because imagine if that happens four or five times in a row. And that should be how it works. Now, you may say that, well, how is that sustainable for the A-League club? They've got a fan base of, like, thousands of, thousands of people coming through. They've got their own, you know, they've got major sponsors. Not just little sponsors that the NPL clubs use, major sponsors. They can afford to pay a free or 300 bucks. To a, to a club to use one of their players, right? To fill a quota. Now, what stops them then selling them for the youth team is that that youth team should be more an under-18s, under-16 side, developing for that next yeah. step. I think that to, to accommodate that and get that idea to work, the youth football that we know today is like an under-19s league here in Australia. It should be an under-16s youth football competition. 
and then yeah, at national, se- yeah, national youth yeah, league. national youth league should be like under 16s because then once they hit 17, it's like, well, you're playing A League, you're part of the A League squad, you're registered with the A League boys, yeah. right? But you're allowed to play for your NPL affiliated club that the clubs pay money for, right? And then if they want to handpick and swap one of them out for maybe one that's not part of their that was part of that youth team that was signed to the A League registered squad, but say if we have, uh, you know, I've got a pump water bottle here. I have um, Mr. Pump playing at, uh, you know, Adelaide City, centre midfield, scored four goals, six assists in five games. And they go, well, actually, we've got a few of our kids playing from Adelaide United who are 18, 17, not playing too old for the under-16 youth. But are playing here. But this kid's playing unreal. Well, there's your $300. I'm going to take him for the week, right? That's your compensation money. He's going to come and sit on the bench and get his A-League debut, maybe. Who knows, right? And then Matthew Pump, I made my drink bottle that now, goes in and who knows, maybe in three weeks' time gets an A-League debut, gets a goal on debut, and there you are, career started. And there you go. But that's how it should work in my mind. The fact is, though, I don't think A-League or Australian football thinks that in-depthly about how big the problem is where people like us can see the big problem. It's not just us having this chat. You go to any of the local football clubs and you will hear this chat happen amongst parents, coaches, um, you know, members of board. You'll hear it happen between lots of people. And the fact that nothing's been done about it is a bit upsetting because the golden generations well, are far cry from where we are. Because someone's going to miss out on that cycle of money. If we go down this route of youth... It's taking the it's taking money out of people's pockets. That's why. So it's taking opportunities to to better their NPL club or their A League club. So which means they're losing. So someone needs to be prepared to to go through a teething process where there might not be success. There might there might not be opportunities to make a few thousand here. But then if you can develop five kids that sell for three or four million each in the long run, you're going to be making a lot more money because happens, these kids are going to be. Yeah, keep going. And that's the, keep going. that's what we need. That, that that that's that's where I'm going. Is the clubs need to be a constant turning of young talent going to Europe because to get a squad like we had in 06, where pretty much the 15 that played regularly all played in Europe's top seven leagues, I'd say. Yeah, something like that. That's the only way we're going to do that is if we are churning out kids at a youth level that are capable of playing in the A-League at 16, 17, 18, getting their moves before they're 20 to Europe. 100% agree. And if they get that three, $4 million move, which is what I was going to say before I forgot, is that if that happens, all that money shouldn't go to the A-League club. A percentage of that should be going back to the NPL club they came from to give them reward. That could be in their contracts. Yeah, it, it could be in their contracts. I know with certain clubs, they get compensation fee for being the club that produced them for the other club. I know that happens in England a little bit, you know, and it could be even just 10% of a formula fee, but that could be, imagine yeah. that money going to, um, let's just pick a club off the top of my back. That's, An Olympic. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? Imagine an Adelaide Olympic, you know, gets a, uh, um, I'm drinking a coffee, you know, um, Sam Coffee, right, has gone out, played amazing for Adelaide after coming through their ranks, but picked up by United, and then all of a sudden he's gone to uh, Palermo, on for a three million dollar move, they should get compensation of 30, 40, 50, 60 grand, not percent grand. Imagine yeah, that going grand. into an Adelaide, an Adelaide local club, yeah, NPL club for one, yeah. for one, for one player that has gone one from youth their product. youth and their NPL into Adelaide United's youthful side that they have had to pick because of the rules in the A League, that that has then had the exposure grown and at 19 got that move. 
And guess what? They get a pat on the back. He's 40, 40, 50, 60K. Adelaide still get, yeah. what, 3.9 mil out of that 4 mil signing? Right? Yeah, just under 4 yeah, mil. Yeah, and they can reinvest that into the squad, into better youth. They can reinvest that into many things, you know. It could be, you know, better grounds. They might even reinvest more into local, their other affiliate teams to help them. Who knows, right? But yeah. you're telling me the A-League club's going to miss the extra 60K that goes to the MPL club? No. Yeah. Someone so will. So in the but end, no. but that, in that triangle... It works. In that triangle... Everyone, both both parties win there. Yeah. The club, the club on the other end, getting a, a, a better player and a better product. Yep. The A League clubs getting better money coming in, and the local clubs getting some recognition for putting effort and time into that young kid. 100%. So, all three parties win there because we were prepared to spend three, four, five years investing in our youth. And there's so many ways that that can happen. I think kids just need to be constantly exposed to elite coaching for a margin of the cost that they're paying now. 100%. I think you, if, you, if whatever government's coming in next, if they looked at the Ausplay data for football, you'd be dumb to not try and, and find a way to even really excel football in this country as the most played sport and absolutely crush footy and cricket and whatever else is, is in the way because it has such a landslide share of the market currently that it's beyond a joke that we're not producing more talent because it's so heavily played in this country. I 100% agree. And uh, I, a lot of people maybe think that we're going out here saying that, you know, soccer's the be-all and end-all, or football, as we call it. It's not. Don't get me wrong. I love my cricket on the weekend. Paul, Paul's played AFL all his life, right? But the numbers aren't yeah. lying that the kids are currently playing uh, football was in soccer in their in their thousands in their, it, it's astronomical it's so huge across the country yeah, as well. a, a government came on board and if we as a football federation could harness those numbers and do it in the right way and maybe the way we're saying um, is or is it the right way who knows right it won't be known until it's tested right but if they could do that and everyone could get on board there is an absolute platform here to turn us into something quite special is there not yeah. I, I believe no, I believe in agree. that Right, because the talent. Because then it's going to be a model. It's going to be a model that we can then utilize forever. Yeah. Because you can never replace young talent. Like you know, I'm sorry. You can always replace young talent, but the idea is you're going to always want to try and produce better than what you just produced before. So if you can keep the cycle at, it doesn't have to be an elite level. It just has to be at a very good level. If you can keep that cycle at a very good level, then you're never going to have a problem. I would love to see, and I'd love to do the research when I get the time, how has Japan managed to never really miss a generation? Japan never feel like they go through big dips. No. They are, they're never, they're not going to spike and be the world's best, you know, and neither are we probably. We're never going to win a World Cup, realistically, because it's just, it's not going to happen in, my, in our lifetime, I don't think. But how can Japan be so consistent with their production of, of young talent that push their first or the first team, their national team? Yeah, and that's what I'd love to see. No, it's because probably their their makeup and how they structure it's probably been set in stone for years, and they know it works. And I mean years, I mean probably who knows, 50, 60, 80 years, probably longer. Who knows? But they've had a way that yeah. they know that it works and it filters through. And the team always looks amazing on paper too. Maybe Japan's maybe slightly underformed on the international stage of late. And like, I think they had a really hard World Cup group last World Cup. Um, on the yeah, top of my but head. they're getting there though but, and they're competing yeah, like, and they're they, consistent. They look a lot better than what we do, that's for sure. And like, we're meant to be the best team in Asia, which we're not. And then you look at Japan yeah. and look what Japan do to teams like Saudi Arabia. 
Like they will put them yeah, to the sword the and get the job done. And even on their bad days, they'll still find a way to put it in the back of the net, right? Yeah, we were dreadful and, against Japan and, as well when we played oh, them. Oh yeah, they, they, they are hands down unbelievable, right? And that's what maybe the Socceroos, Australian football, and what the model should be moving forward is maybe that's the goal: become the best in Asia first before you start thinking about winning a World Cup. Like I don't like saying it that the goal with the soccer is just to make the World Cup because I think that's the wrong attitude. Um, but I think at the moment that's the most realistic goal. And I feel like the best thing to do is have an end goal but have realistic goals to get there. And if our end goal is to win a World Cup, which is what it should be, probably know that it's not going to happen in the next you know, 10 years, right? It's not going to be something magic overnight. It's not going to happen in the next 40 years. It's going to take 80, 100 years. It probably won't happen in our lifetime, right? But if you can set the realistic goal of becoming the best in Asia, the best in Asian qualifying the best um, the best team. And just that consistency. Yeah, right? For me, it's the consistency. Can we do it again yeah. and again and again exactly. and again? Can we transition in and out of teams? Because that's what we haven't done. We have a good team for a while and then a few of them all go together and bang, we're, we're yeah. back. And we don't have a Tim Kayo anymore that's going to drag us through the dirt no. and pop up and score headers because we don't have that striker anymore. We don't have that. I'm playing. I'm the man. I'm playing in this league. I'm playing Bundesliga week in, week out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. We don't have that player at the moment. We don't have the Aaron Moy in the squad that's doing it at you know, in the Premier League. It's just we don't. It, it's that. It's almost the arrogance. We don't have that arrogance because we don't have anyone the, that, that can team. Be yeah. So I think what needs to change for the Socceroos is we need to. We need to play a way that suits who we've got, and I don't think we played the way we should have on Thursday. No. When you're playing Hurstich as a striker when he's a 10, that summed up to me already that there was no creativity in the team. Arnold wasn't there trying to dominate the game. He was trying to go, all right, let's go on the break quickly and try and exploit it with pace. And Yeah, cool, but we're playing at home in a must-win game where Saudi Arabia need a draw. Maybe we need to play a way that's going to keep the ball in the deck and try and play through teams. So I think part of the problem is Arnold's not the man for me. No, he's not. I, I think we need, to, we need to take a risk and go with someone that's going to change our philosophy on the pitch so that we can change our philosophy off it. Yeah, I agree with that, right? And I think there's a few fundamental reasons why the soccer is like that. But the first thing that I want to get back to is that if we set that realistic goal, though, and we want to become the best in Asia, that's not an overnight thing because look at Japan, right? For me, it's consistency becoming the best, like you mentioned. And the problem with us is that we're not consistent in a way because our model's never consistent. And that's the problem is that look at the coaches we've had. You know, and had a particular type, style of football, right? Before that, we had what Gus hitting in 06 was a bit more of a tinker man. Um, what we had Pim Vivek, I reckon, came in at what? Oh, yeah. Uh, 2008, 9, 10, something like that. Got the 10. He had the 10 World Cup. Yeah, right. My problem is, is that we had a curriculum coming that has been taught to coaches. And it was based on the Dutch. 4-3-3 model that was kind of being put to us through that era. And does that suit Australian football historically? No. Or we got footballers that are little players that can get in pockets of space, beat a couple of people with a good first touch, play 20, 30 passes in a row and off you go. No. I'd love us to play that I way. I would love it too. But, but is that, our, is that we how are. we are built in Australian in Australia, typically? No, no, we're not. I mean, realistically, I've got a system that Arnold should be playing. I think I mentioned it to yeah. you. We 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 scream four two three one. We do to me, um, but we don't have enough. We don't have the strikers to play two up front. No. So you got to play one up front. Yeah. We do have players to play in the hole though. We've got Rodgers. We've got Hurstich. 
Moy, I feel like, can sit that role well. McGree can play that role well. I think there's players there that can really play in the 10. We've got dynamic wingers. We've got guys that can run at defences. Yep. Whether we, uh, we don't have inverted wingers. Yep. We've got out-and-out wingers. We've got, you know... Oh, the guy actually that played on the week on the right wing last time was pretty good, but my head goes to I'd rather Lecky play on one side. On the other. I'd rather sort of Mobile play on the other side if that's going to be that, or I like Craig Goodwin to play on the left and just get down the line, whip a ball in, get your DMs. Irvine likes to step up. I don't think Jimmy Jago is the type of player that we need playing for Australia, although he has turned his career around. He did play well off against the Saudi Arabia. I thought he was one of our better. Yeah. Better players. But I felt like that was a game situational where Saudi's sitting there, he's able to pick it up off the defence unmarked mostly. Yeah. And, and then spray passing. Can use his range of passing. Yeah. yeah. But long term, I don't think that's what you no. really need. But I think that, like, we just need that system where we we can have a pivot. Like, we don't, we just, everything looks so flat. Like, that was the only way I could explain the that game. Our lines was, are flat. Yeah, well, there was no ideal movement there because no. you're playing 4-4-2. No the wingers aren't in. making the runs in behind and the strikers didn't want to drop in. Yeah. So everyone's trying to run in behind. you got six guys running in behind. No one to create or present or move the opposition. The opposition, all they had to do was take three steps backwards and you've just nullified what we were yeah. trying to do. There was no creativity and no movement. My issue with that is, is that we try to build this 4-3-3 model, right, and then we switch it with another head coach, which Ayers plays a different type of 4 3 3 And then, obviously, you didn't switch it to um, Grant Arnold and this 4 4 2 Now, I, I get coaches coaching their own way. My problem is, is that in the curriculum that we're trying to teach kids is we're trying to teach a Barcelona, old-school, maybe Dutch sort of total football 4 3 3 to these children coming through yeah. to then go into A-League and then go into the soccer ruse, right? My issue with all of that is, is that at that level... Right, that we're trying to build into the Socceroos system is that is that the system the Socceroos are going to be good at? No, it's not. Is that how Australian football is made up? No. For me, it's Socceroos should be put in a way that the coach thinks is a the best way to play, but b matches with our you know our strengths as a team, we've got. which is powerful, quick, you know, players, hard working players. So in that four two three one, we want runners, we want people getting in behind. We need um, maybe that bigger striker coming in from deep to get onto the ball, right? To create space for the wingers to get over go over him. We we might need to be that little bit more pragmatic in games and sit a bit deeper and really you know that physicality. The, and go quick. Yeah, and then go quick on the break, which I think is our best system personally because it uses our you know the the typical Australian traits of we're gritty, we're strong, we're dogged, right? We can run yeah. for days. Right, look at look at like the other Australian teams like cricket and that never die fighting sort of attitude. Do what must needs to be done to win, right? And be really dog, and then hit teams on the break with that natural pace and you know physicality Australians do have. You know natural power to jump in the air, Timmy Cahill for instance, right? But yeah. the problem is is that the curriculum that Australian football goes out for and then tries to u- utilize and present is a system of football that has either been a outdated because total football back in the Netherlands has now changed a lot since then but then they liken it to Barcelona and well guess what's happened at the moment to Barcelona they need to adapt and change the modern day football a b we don't pres- we do not do not do not develop we don't have the technical ability to do yeah, it we don't develop those sort of players and the reason why we don't develop those sort of players is a the A-League doesn't allow to develop those sort 
shorter players because that's not how the A-League is run because we get older players that have that ability but our younger players get shafted. And then lastly is out at the youth development level, right at the bottom, the pitches aren't Barcelona pitches that are all artificial that you can play ball on. A lot of these pitches are, you know, bumpy, bubbly, got rocks in the middle of them, so the ball jumps around at people. So why do you think we have players that are a bit bigger, stronger, and quicker? Because all we can do is put a ball into the channel and run. Because you can't play that sort of beautiful football, A. And secondly, at that youth level, who's coaching? Is it an elite coach? Or is it Tim's dad who has decided to put his hand up to coach the under-12s? That's the Which issue. is more likely to be the, the, the option. I, mean, I think they're talking more curriculum as those those kids that are uh, in those elite pathways. I think that's where that con- that context of the curriculum comes. I don't think every single kid gets exposed. No, they don't. You know, they should. But yeah, 100% but they, they should. And that's maybe but, where you know, that, you know... Ki- you when know, it costs three grand to get your C oh, license... don't worry, I know all about that. Far up. Exactly. <laughs> who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna fork that out? Unless you're looking for a career in... In management, so we're not we're not equipping the people that are the most involved in this sport with the tools in order to develop the kids. Yeah, and that's so the again, problem for the Socceroos to never be competitive enough to be sustainable in Asia, and then sustainable, consistent in Asia, and then progress to maybe when you look at a World Cup, okay, we can go deep here. Maybe the goal is to actually eventually win a World Cup in eighty years' time because we're not getting the youth part of it right. And when you don't get the bottom part, the Socceroos is going to be affected. And in the middle, the A-League just kind of sits there and doesn't act as a way to bridge the gap between the two. Yeah. And then, because the quality in the A-League is not good enough, you, you're searching for players. And I think Zach made a really good point to me after the Saudi Arabia game. He was just saying like he doesn't like watching the Socceroos because there's no cohesion. No, there isn't. He goes, the players don't look like they know how to play with each other because it's all different, mixed match, throw together. Oh, here we go. We're going to be together for a week and a half now. Let's try and figure this out. And that's what it looks like to me. It's that's what, what it, it looks does. Like. And that's down to A, Graham Arnold not being a good enough coach, probably, to get his idea across. Yeah. Personally, I don't, I don't know how he's got the job, but there you go. Right? Secondly, it's probably having a guy that probably doesn't suit the football that Australia needs to be played. But lastly, it's this understanding that we have to play in this perfect way of playing football where realistically, we're not built for that in Australia. We should build our own curriculum around what suits Australian football. And, then, and that might change though that's the thing yes. and that's not an issue there's no problem with that like whatever works now might not work in 20 years exactly and, and that's where I don't like having a, such a rigid structure because Perfect. football changes football adapts 100% agree you know, how many teams are playing three at the back now that they never would have 15 years uh, ago I, I totally agree the fact that we even have a curriculum in place to be a standard of what should be is coached the problem. is the problem because what happened back in the day when we produced Vidukas and Kills and you know, Vinnie Grellers it's and all instinct. that wasn't it? It was. You want to know who was coaching them? People that have migrated from their home country to go coach and probably have played at the you know NSL level at those clubs that those ethnic clubs, and they weren't teaching curriculum. What know what they were teaching? Basic understanding of football. You know, when the ball comes to your right foot, you've got to shield off. You know, and so you can turn to your you turn onto your left or your right, depending right which way you're going to shield. You know, look at Viduka; he wouldn't let you near the ball, right? The kids aren't being taught that; they're being taught well. Actually, in this situation, you have to bounce into here and be in this half spot in between this line, doing this sort of thing because of that secondary run, and, and then in BPO you've got to do this. For a kid, they're not understanding that, right? In the curriculum, yeah. and then that's where it all becomes a bit mismanaged, and then it bleeds into. There not being enough quality in the A-League and the Socceroos. Where back for Viduka, they probably had some guy from Croatia that's played 
a heap of games from MLS that's migrated here and probably had a heap of understanding and wealth of knowledge that's gone out and said, no, but this in this game situation, you've got to do, you know, you've got to present like this, do it this way. and do it this way and you can do it that way. And that allows you then to turn and do this and do that. Right? And is that a system yeah. thing? No, because if you know how to do that, you can do that in a 433 or 442 or 4-4-1-1. Could do it playing more direct, more ticky-tacky, it doesn't matter. Because you're teaching the kid the basic technical understanding of where he needs to be in relation to the ball in football. Instead of, you know, talking about, well, actually, when the 10 gets the ball, the cue for the 6 and 8 is to underlap him so they can pick it up with a bounce pass. Well, great, that sounds good in theory, but do we have the players that are quality enough to bring the ball out of the fence, play the 10, bounce, get it back in with one touch, play your winger, that then, you know, allow for the fullback to overload, and off you go? Yeah. We probably don't. We don't have the pitches to do it on either, unless you're playing on an artificial as well. So the curriculum for me shouldn't be a curriculum. The curriculum should be to encourage coaches to do their licenses, which should be cheaper to in order for the licenses to teach coaches what to teach and what to look for in talent acquisition to make players better. That's what it should be. Yeah, that's a, yeah. But how do we then? So from the kids yeah. that you're working with, how do we develop their fundamental skills and tactical awareness? Yeah. In order to pr- pr- provide better opportunities, number one, but also pr- promote better talent, and because at the end of the day, they're, they're the coaches that are doing the groundwork. They're the ones that are at that grassroots level. 100%. They're giving the kids the first opportunity. Same with school coaches. Not every kid's getting access to playing at club level. Yep. You know, not every school's got access to coaches that have qualifications or an even interest in soccer. Yep. You know, it's just a waste of time. So it's just. How do we how do we bridge that gap? Well, education's the key. Why why is education the key in every other element of life? But when it comes to football, there's an elitist mentality where it's you're priced out. Exactly, and, and I that's don't the like issue. that. And that's my big issue with the curriculum. I don't get access to it because I refuse to pay the money to get a license that I'll never use. No. Because I want, but I, I've got another reason why I want access to that. I want for my students. I want to give them the best opportunity to develop because I know they can't afford to go and play at the highest end clubs. But because I don't need a coaching course for my job, I'm not going to pay for it out of my own pocket just to say I've got it. I only did it because because at the time I was coaching seven days a week, six days a week. Yeah. I Now I'm letting mine, as we sit here right now, I'm letting my C license expire. And if I do, when I'm 30-odd, I've got a house and, you know, I've got kids and a wife and everything else is set up and I'll think about, okay, maybe I want to go back to coaching football again. I'll go and do it again, Right. And I'll pay my one and a half grand to get my C license, then my three and a, three grand to do my B. And then I might even do my A license if I really want to at the age of 38, 40, right? And that's another four or five grand. It's a 12-month course. Yeah. And that, that is such an elitist mentality where the coach, that, that C license should be really tailored about, it's not a curriculum, but this is how we want you to, to, to go about teaching kids in your own philosophy. Don't have to follow what we're telling you to do. Right, because your kids may be different, your team might have to be set up differently. But what we're going to give you is the basis understanding of how you can best go out and develop them technically and develop them tactically to understand the game of football in a way that isn't in an elitist mentality that you have to pay three grand for. That's what it should be, but it's not. So I think we've really, I think we've come to the understanding that the big problem in Australia is money. Oh yeah, it's huge, and like I get it, and I understand because in any organisation, right, everyone wants to be paid. And everyone wants the bottom dollar. Yeah. Everybody wants their turnover. But I'm going to ask you this, Paul. It's a big question because you've come through an AFL elite pathway, have you not? Well, a, a, a pathway. Oh, I've seen it. I've, I've been, you've around, been it. around it. Yeah. Right? You've been on the borderline of it. right? You've had your cousin come through 
as well. We've obviously yeah. had a few friends that have definitely gone through the whole elite pathway and then not made it out the other side. But for me, being in that leaf pathway, is there a structure? Is there a certain way that you have to play AFL football? No, I don't think so, from what I've been told. No. Right? It was all... The- but the actual the way, the talent identification in football is so much better. Yeah. He's so much better. Explain it. Though. You play for your community club. Yep. You literally are zoned to a SANFL club here in South Australia, yep. which is the semi-professional, the NPL equivalent. You then either make it or don't make it there. If you don't make it at that club, then you're free reign. Anyone can pick you up. Yep. Then you get the if you stay at a SANFL club, you play there for three, three, four years until you're eighteen. If you're good enough, you nominate for the national draft, and that's how you go into the AFL. Yeah. And do you think that a model like that could work with Australian football? No. Why? Because I, I, I believe think it's can't too hard. Well. I, I would love there to be a way that clubs get access to NPL players, the way that AFL clubs get access to SANFL players. It's hard. If you could do it maybe when the transfer window's closed, then it would work. Yeah. But it's it's hard. It it'd be hard it would be hard because AFL doesn't have an international it doesn't have a market. market. It doesn't have inter- yeah, it's all the players are within the country. There's a three week trade period and then that's it. So there's no other movement of assets. If yep. you did the dra- an MPL draft, say? Yep. Two, it depends when the trans. If you could get the transfer window to close three weeks out from the start of the season, say, yep. or you do the draft in the middle of the season during an international break, then clubs are already established and they can draft what they need. And I think that would be that a cool, would be a way, cool to- way to do it. And that's what I was trying to get at: is what can we take from the other codes of sport that do it so well in this country and make it better for us? Because cricket's similar been through a few elite pathways with that. Yeah. Right? And AFL, I think, is the biggest one that we can tap into. I'm not saying that we have to go down the whole draft and zone and everything like that, but for me, it's a talent acquisition and how they go about coaching it is that there isn't a big amount of money being put into... Well, the coaches have to be to pay to get their licenses to understand the game and how to coach it and, you know, be qualified to coach it, A. But B, the talent acquisition and how that seems from someone looking out going into coaching it is all tailor-made to those players that are in that group. And that... Yeah, the umbrella gets cast, yeah. you know, the net gets cast. They find the elite talent that's playing well at the, at the level below and they get a chance. Yeah. That's realistically what football does. Yeah. And I think that... Whether they make it or not is another story. Yeah. And I but, think that's something that Australian football should look at. Instead of having a curriculum and not, oh, every team across the whole country has to play 4 3, three in this way with these sort of cues. When this happens in the ball, you have to do that. And then in BPO, you have to do that. It should be, well, no... This is identify your core talent of players at your club, right? That you think could have the next potential to be the next big thing for Australian football. Go out there, use your talent acquisition, go out there and coach him in a way that you think is best suits up for that squad. So if you've got two strikers and, you know, two wingers that can, you know, workers that can go up and back, play a 4 4 2. We don't care, right? But as long as you're ticking off this sort of talent acquisition, teaching this sort of technical ability and giving him tactical awareness that in certain situations you have to do this this and that which isn't a curriculum but that's what works for your team it could be different cues for every team across the whole of australia that's going to get the best yeah. out of that core of players and that's going to give them the best understanding and, un- and development of the technical ability then they will say the curriculum will say well but then they don't know how to play any other style of football but the curriculum only says that we can only play four three three so are they really learning how to play a three five two or anything like that yeah, exactly. well, you want to know what my theory on that is paul that is utter and absolute ball that we that 
if you only teach one system, they can't play another one. You want to know why, Paul? Everything in football is relevant to what? The ball. Because that's what you play with. So you're telling me that if the fullback bombs on and the winger holds, right, and all of a sudden then your centre defensive mid has to sit with the two centre-backs, what what does that look like, though, on paper? In possession now, you're playing 3-5-2. Because you had a winger sitting, yeah. you've got your other winger that's bombed on, you've got your fullback that's now bobbed them to the winger spot, the winger's sitting now in a central midfield area, and your six has now realised, well, actually, I've got to sit now because that's my cue. Well, guess what? You're now playing 3-5-2. Yeah. You're telling me that if uh, that if uh, Tim Heineken, who's coaching his under-14 side, that's a core group of players, playing 4-4-2, but the, the, the striker's dropped in to pick up the ball and one's more advanced, now 4-4-1-1, what, they only know how to play 4-4-2? Well, technically, they're playing four four one one right now with the ball, which is a glorified four two three one, just a bit deeper. And so, if he just says to his wingers in that situation, get higher up, they're now playing four two three one. You're already in that way engaging a player and understanding that everything you do in football is relevant to the ball. So you learn how to play every system because you've taught the tactical ability to understand that everything's about the ball and the technical ability of what to do with the ball. That you can play any system. The curriculum yeah, for me exactly. should be based on a four-three-three. That is then has to be translated. That every club has to play that, and then every MPL yeah, club has to play needs that. To do and this. no, it has DM has to do that. It has to be He's building robots. It has to be exactly you're building robots. It has to be exactly like AFL for that core group of players. Use your ta- tactical talent acquisition and your technical ability as a coach to grow the talent that you have in that talent pool, and use it. To build a better player that isn't a robot, but their own player, right? And that's what, molded. yeah, they're molding. The they're molding to understand players. What, then have yes. tactical awareness. Yep. They can play any system. They can play a few different, a few different ways. Whether they're a box to box midfielder, whether they can sit, whether they can screen, whether they can be more advanced. The, yeah. Give them the tools. Give them the understanding of in this system, I have to play this way, or in that shape, I need to do this, or I need to track that way. If we can then develop players that can think critically about their shape and what the other team's doing as well, yeah. then we are going to have better football. You know, total football intelligence, and that's what we're lacking. We're lacking football intelligence at the moment. Well, it, 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 we're lacking it because the curriculum is too has gone too More streamlined. It's gone too crazily out there and not dumbed it down enough to well actually the. The core problem is we don't teach players what to do with the ball or without the ball and in certain situations. Yeah. If you teach someone what to do with the ball, they've got to know what they need to do no matter what position they're playing on the A of the field or what system they're playing in. They can play in every system and they can do exactly what they need to do. And then that player, as they get older, will understand if they're a centre-back, center full-back, box-to-box midfielder, striker, Whatever, a, t- yeah. a striker that's a target man or an advanced forward, it, it doesn't matter. They hone their skill yeah. set that's natural to them. And then at that, that yeah. 14, 15, 16, 17-year age grab, they will then work with coaches that will go, well, okay, in this situation, because you know what you need to do with the ball here, do this because you're that sort of player. And that's how in AFL, I reckon people then start learning how to be on ballers, people then who then shoot up and they're very good in the ruck, obviously do a heap of work on how they understand the game in the ruck. And I would imagine that's how full forwards then know that they're going to be a full forward at a bit of an older teenage age. They'll start yeah. doing more work based on their position and like leading in and yeah. everything. And that's what, AF, well, that's what Australian football should be looking at. Teach these players what to do without the ball and with the ball to make them a better footballer. And they will go back into the system. Uh, like They can go back into the yeah. system in terms of they will know how to play 4-3 or 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1 or 3-5-2 because they will know what they need to do with and without the ball. Yeah, I think that's a good area to leave it, I reckon, because that's probably where we're lacking it the most. I think that's, that's the key message is we need to develop players that can think critically about the game. I think so too. If, uh, until we get to that point, then we're never going to progress because 
these players should be able to think for themselves and be able to, you know, adapt to those situations. So we've got a couple questions here yep. that I don't want to miss. Um, so I think the first one, I, I can kind of tell where this is coming from already, this first question from JS, because there's been lots of uh, debate. Oh, I didn't actually see the name at the bottom, but do you think there's a bias towards the bigger clubs when the English national team is being picked? And he's used the Mill Smith-Rowe example over Jared Bowen. I'm going to say in the last month, Smith-Rowe has played Bowen off the park. I think so too. I do think Bowen will deserve his shot and will get his shot. Don't get me wrong. If this international break came three weeks or four weeks ago, then Bowen probably would have got a look in before Smith-Rowe started playing the way that he has. But the way he's played this last month, he's been unplayable. I'm going to say... I don't think think there's a bias. You know, like I think if you're performing... The only one who I feel really sorry for is Tamori. Yep. I think there's a bias towards individuals. I wouldn't say it's to the clubs. You know, like Harry Kane on form should not be near the squad. And same with Maguire. But they're big names and big personalities in the squad. It's not got anything to do with Tottenham and Man United. Exactly. It's it's a bias to the player. I think so, so too. I think that's how I would word it. It's not a bias to the club. It's a bias to the player and who you're dropping that player for. And the relationship. Yeah. And in international football is a little different. You need those characters, though, as well, I think, in the squad. Yeah, I'd agree. And you can't drop your captain and your vice-captain in the same, you know, window when you've got World Cup qualifying as well. There's there's going to be guys that are locked in regardless. You know, Timo Werner, for his whatever his form is, he tends to go to Germany regardless too. Yeah, and he, and he seems to do very well for German football as well internationally. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because they probably use him in a way that they understand him the most and where maybe Chelsea just haven't unlocked that potential yet. Um, but yeah. look, I, I, in the Bowen situation, JS, he's got to get his shot. I think, um, oh, Gallagher, didn't Gallagher get called up though this window? So it kind of proved yeah, that. Yeah, man, but he's, he's been doing it for two months. Yeah. And that, he missed the last window. Yeah. Um, and, but that also would mean that, well, if, he, if he's playing at Palace and he can get a look in, then that kind of means that I feel like yeah. anyone in the Premier League gets a look in. I feel like the bias only goes to clubs like outside of England or be outside of like the top flight. Like, if there was a guy scoring 50 goals in the championship who's English, I don't think he gets a look because they'll probably turn around and say, we need to see him do it in the top flight. I feel like the bias yeah, isn't towards agree. the clubs in the Premier League. Um, so, bigger yeah. clubs, yes, but on a bigger scale than what I think you're thinking, JS. Yeah. All right, Dim asks if you could bring back a player uh, in their prime to the Premier League, who would it be? Who are you going um, with? Oh, look, I, I think it's because I'm a Steven Gerrard fanboy that, you know, I would say Stevie G in the old current Liverpool side would be nice to try and win him a title. But I actually feel like if there was a player I could bring back from their prime and who would it be back to Liverpool? Oh, I think especially with Bobby being injured, I wouldn't want Luis Suarez coming straight back in up top. Yeah, that was my shout. Yeah. Those three years where he was, he was at the elite level, he just used to make us laugh. Oh, yeah. He was that good. He was, I'd giggle. Like, at the things he'd do, I'd be giggling. We used to square to school and just watch highlights and giggle, man. It was the best time. Yeah. He was just... He had uh, that two... There was about a two-year window. The year he should have won the league and the year before yeah. it, he was just unplayable. Oh, yeah. He was unplayable. And oh, he, I'd take him in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. He 100%. would be just... Same here. 
the player that I want to watch all day. The chips, the flicks, the finesses, the headers. He just had it all. Oh, it Left foot, right foot. So outside the right foot. I'm not even, just the natural finish. I'm not even going to lie. I miss the drama he brought. I, I used to miss the days where you used to yeah. go to school and be like, well, we just bit someone. Well, oh, God. But Him yeah. and Costa. Yeah, man, I missed that. We lost that personality. We lost that personality. I missed the days where people used to say about diving. He probably doesn't, wouldn't do it as much now in the Prem because of uh, VAR. Nah. But... You know, I miss that as well. So like, I'm saying Suarez. Bit of controversy. Yeah, I'm saying Suarez. Yeah. Paul saying Suarez. Torres for the same thing as well. I'm just trying to think oh. who Liverpool would, who, who would need right now. We just now. didn't get him in his prime. If we had him for the next... I mean, we had him in his prime. We had him in the prime of his career, but not in the prime of his physicality. If we had the Chelsea version of Torres playing like he did at Liverpool... Oh, my God. Then... Yeah. It yeah would imagine what he would have done. Oh, yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Imagine having Suarez and... Torres and Well, they were there together. Imagine having Suarez, Torres and Salah all together. Oh, God. The fun that you could have. But, um, yeah, uh, outside of Liverpool, is there a player that you would like love to see at Liverpool then that was back from their prime to play in the Premier League? Oh, just, just in the Premier yeah. League. Um, it's a bit of a harder question. There's a few that stand out. I, I've already I mean, got mine that I would like. Oh, go with yours. I feel like that... Especially during the period we didn't have a centre back, Vidic would have been the one for me because he's just a man that was just oh, yeah. nails and like fly in and you know body on the line and bleed for the club. And I feel like like as much as he played for United, I used to be able to respect that a lot. And I think he was fantastic. Um, and then maybe a pick. Like imagine a Patrick Vieira yeah, in this. I was going to say imagine a pick like Vieira or someone like this in this era would be huge. So like that yeah, and Terry Henry and Burkamp. There's another few forwards though. Yeah, look. I think you could make a case for any of those legends Paul to come Scholes. back. Yeah, I like. I, I have yeah. a lot of time for Paul Scholes. Does he get into my best ever Premier League side? I don't know. That might be for another pod. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. Look, I feel like uh, there's a lot of players you could be putting in there. I think from a Liverpool perspective, we're probably going Suarez and Torres and yeah, yeah. they're the two that stand out. Yeah. And then the last question for today from Vapi: uh, biggest flop so far this year. Um, the whole of Norwich City Who's Football Club. In your books? The whole of Norwich City Football Club. Nah, we knew they were going to go down. Yeah, but this on. bad pool. Yes. You reckon this that bad? Every year. They do it every two years. No, I reckon they're still not going to get. That's, the, not a flop. I, still re- that's ex- that's I still reckon they're not going to get the ten points. Oh, they'll get ten. <laughs> I don't know. They'll get to ten. <laughs> Eleven. They got Dean Smith now. Apparently, I think. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, the Aston Villa boss is just going to go there. Actually, quick question, Paul. Bit of a sidetrack. Gerard decide for Aston Villa. What do you reckon? We spoke about that in the last one. Did we? Yeah, it broke when we were on. Oh no, joke! It did too. I forgot. <laughs> Always happens. Yeah, See, I mean, I think I'm trying to create. I think it's a good signing, oh, yeah. but I'm trying to create our own little we'll bit of like drama on this pod. See what happens if we do a pod like at semi-normal time. We miss all the drama. Yeah. Um, biggest flop than actual player. Um, oh, that's Ronaldo. Yeah and no I, I think that's more of a product I knew what he was going to come with But I didn't think it was going to be this bad uh, He's not moving He does not care I watched him against Man City He did not care one bit He was just walking around He was so disinterested I think that's part of the, the circumstance he's walked into yep. But they hedged the bets on him And my god he hasn't delivered I was actually going to He's done well in the Champions League yep. He's salvaged two points Clap clap well done but outside of that, no good. I was actually going to go with another Mate, Premier League, 
Well, he scored against Newcastle, it's about it. Yeah, I was going to go with another United player was actually going to be Sancho. He hasn't had the opportunity, but every opportunity he has had, he's looked dreadful. So I see, I've been saying it for months, man. Oh. Everyone was laughing at me when I said I don't rate him. Oh, I don't. I just haven't seen enough of him to go, oh, yeah, well, he's good or not. But um, They don't even they, they pay all his money for him to play on the right wing, and then they pull him on the left wing. Yeah, and Figure that now out. they're playing the 3-5-2, and he plays a wing-back now if he's got to play. he doesn't suit. Yeah. 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 I, I, so, you yeah. know what? You know what the conclusion is of this uh, this question is? Vappi, biggest flop so far this season? Oli. Yeah. I mean, again, didn't really rate him no, anyway. So, so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Love me, not being me, not. I think that's a nice... Way for us to end tonight. I think so too. It was a great little discussion that one, Paul. I think in conclusion, we've realised that A League needs change, uh, the Socceroos need a change, and youth development in Australia is the biggest problem that needs change. But last but not least, money is the big driving factor. That is the problem in Australian yeah. football. Needs to be put in the right areas. Yeah. I think if we can get the money in the right areas, then we'll be fine. Let us know about your what our ideas are. If you think they would work, if you think you'd like to see that be trialed or you know put you know not put forward because we can't have a place to put it forward, but we'd like to see that happen in Australian football. A secondly, if there's something that you think we've missed that we think we should have talked about, or if you think that our ideas were good but you thought they needed to be elaborated on, or you thought actually this is a good idea but maybe structure it this way. Join the Discord. The link will be down below of the pod in the description. And go in the Discord, in the PD Sports Podcast tab in the Discord. Let us know about if you think what you would have done differently, et cetera, et cetera, like that. And look, from Damien Paul, that's my goodbye. Round us off, buddy. Beautiful. Thank you guys once again for your continued support. Once again, make sure you jump in the Discord to get amongst the discussion, not just about the podcast, but amongst the content that Damien and I are both producing. And for this episode of the PD Sports Podcast, that's where we're going to leave it. Hopefully you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week for the next episode of the podcast. 